I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, I'm Tony Peterson, and this is the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. Today's episode is all about becoming proficient at building natural ground blinds for all types of critters. When I sit in my basement, which is you know, kind of where all of my trophies have come to find a home since my wife doesn't want them scattered throughout the house, you know, unlike all the dumb wall art she buys at those stupid stores she likes, I can easily look at whitetail racks and mule deer racks and elk racks and turkey beards and antelope horns and think about how I ended up in pretty close proximity to all those critters. I'd say probably like 30% of them happen to be shot from the ground out of some type of natural ground blind. I've talked pretty extensively about how to set up stands and hub-style ground blinds, but I think learning to blend into the vegetation that's available to you is a skill that just fills tags. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. If you were to take a look at one of those Kardashian ladies out there, the ones who say things like, ew, Chloe." You'd see some serious surface-level beauty. You know, flawless-looking skin, perfect hair, bodies that look like they were sculpted to dang near perfection. A passing glance at any one of those ladies would reveal what looks like some real beauty. Of course, we all know that there's a lot of bullshit tied up into their appearances. For example, they probably lean pretty heavy on the filters for their social media posts to clean up their image. Hell, they probably employ full-time Photoshop experts to make them look super good when they are just casually posing at some random beach in the perfect evening light. If you were to dig a little deeper, and I can't prove this, so it's just my opinion, so don't sue me, Kim, 
you might find out that they've had mm, some cosmetic surgery. I know, shocking, right? I'd bet a dozen of my favorite arrows that there have been a few, I don't know, nose jobs, Brazilian butt lifts, and a bunch of other surgeries that the one percenters pay for to look like one percenters. You might look at them in passing, as I said, and think, gosh, they sure are a genetically gifted bunch. But the truth is, there's a hell of a lot of curation to their appearance. What you see isn't what you'd actually get if they'd agree to be around a poor loser like you, which they absolutely would not. Do you know what this is kind of like? Golf. I'm so sorry. Hunting content. The 21-minute show on the Sportsman's Channel that shows some face-painted dork passing up 130-inch bucks all day long to eventually shoot a 160, you know, probably a touch too far back, that's the hunting version of the Kardashians. Not all shows, of course, but a lot of them. Because those deer in those spots are carefully curated to come together in a way that allows for easy filming. You know how it goes. There's always the perfect tree and the perfect access, and the bucks rarely get downwind, and the does never look up, and it's all hunky-freaking-dory. But that's not any more real than the aesthetics of a reality TV family that is famous for, well, some stuff. The truth is, out there where you hunt, the perfect spot is pretty hard to come by. Sure, you probably have some locations on your hunting grounds that the deer like to use, and maybe a few spots that mature bucks are prone to travel through, at least when the weather gets right and the stars align and the old boys start to feel a little tingle in their nethers. You probably have a few spots with a perfect clump of basswood trees that allows you to work on your Michael Jackson dance moves and not get busted by passing deer. The perfect setup does exist. It's just mostly created. When you find it naturally, it's like a whole new level is unlocked and you should enjoy it while you can because Mother Nature is always in flux. And for some reason, the greatest setups for killing wild whitetails seem to exist on a time scale that doesn't extend indefinitely into the future. The thing is, a lot of the best spots, I don't know, they don't have perfect trees in them. This, aside from being replaced by better options, is one of the reasons the popularity of climbing tree stands has gone right down the old shitter. For a while, quite a while ago now, you weren't allowed to buy a hunting license unless you knew how to use a climber. Well, that's not true. But what is true is that while climbing stands were great for straight trees with no limbs, Nature doesn't really offer up tons of high-traffic deer areas that also happen to feature straight trees with no limbs growing and then situate them about 20 yards downwind of the best deer trails. Now, I killed a fair amount of deer out of climbers over the years, but I also settled for not-so-great spots an awful lot just to be able to use them. It was dumb, and it led me right into the world of lightweight stands and sticks, which eventually led me into the world of lightweight stands and sticks and sometimes using a saddle. But even those, you know, even the best saddle setup money can buy, won't do you much good if you hunt in an area that is low on trees or you hunt in an area that has plenty of trees but also a few good spots that don't offer up the best tree stand options. You can put out a hub style blind, of course, but you can also go au naturel. This is a better option than most people think, especially if you're on private land, you know, where you can cut some trees and trim some stuff and stack some logs and create a nice little hidey hole. You can just make something happen in a non-traditional deer setup. And honestly, this isn't limited to whitetails either. A natural blind on the edge of a wallow where a bull elk might come in is a good strategy too. It works for western critters. It works for turkeys. But there is an art to it. To understand that, let me first say what most people do wrong with natural blinds. They want to be comfortable and they want great visibility. Those are like 1 and 1A one right there. 
But that's wrong. We do this with tree stands and hub style blinds too. And what happens then is we make a choice to be more visible and often a little too close to the action because we just can't help ourselves. Instead, think about natural blinds as being like a really good place to truly hide where approaching critters won't know you're there until it's too late if they ever figure it out at all. To frame this up, consider this. How often do you find a random five-gallon bucket on the edge of a field on public land somewhere? This, you know, was obviously brought in there to sit on so somebody could see better. The same goes for blind chairs. We want to be comfortable and we want to see. So we bring something with us that allows us to achieve both. Now, when you're dealing with an eye-level encounter with, you know, pretty much anything but elk because they just aren't as dialed into seeing danger that isn't moving, you're at a huge disadvantage the bigger you allow yourself to be. Sitting on a bucket puts so much of your body in the visible plane of a critter. And then when you try to draw your bow, you can just kind of forget about it. They're going to see you. The difference between that and just sitting directly on the ground on a cushion is the difference between so much of you being easily visible and directly in line with where your quarry will probably look. You can mitigate some of this by brushing things in really well and using the available vegetation and terrain. But I think it's better to sacrifice a little comfort and visibility to stay more hidden. This is very, very hard for most hunters to do. This is just like hanging a stand on private land and then starting the trimming process. It's so easy to overdo it when you want to be able to shoot 360 degrees around the stand and have absolutely no chance of clipping a twig no matter where a buck approaches from. This is all well and good until a pressured buck does approach. The dance between being able to get a critter within range while making sure you have a clear, good shot is an eternal one. It never ends. But think of it this way. You won't get a good shot if you get busted before your quarry gets into the red zone. You need them in range first. And the best way to do that is to hunt a good spot and not get busted. Simple, right? But it's not. You have to learn to trust your ability to find a spot where critters will walk through. You have to believe it'll happen. So you don't constantly put yourself into a position to get spotted while sitting there. You want to keep a low profile and a lot of faith in your abilities. This isn't that easy, but some success from these setups is a great reinforcer. You also have to do this a lot to learn how to get it right. When I was growing up and bow hunting as a teenager, my dad bought this tree seat thing that was just a small cushioned seat that's strapped to a tree trunk. It was kind of cool, and I used it a lot. It was convenient. But I also quickly learned that I needed to use it on good-sized trees and sit facing away from where I thought the deer would walk. That made it a better tool for the job, but still not great because deer walk a lot of places I don't want them to when I'm hunting them. And with that seat, you were just so exposed. Too exposed for my taste. That led me to just sitting on the ground behind trees, which is a point that is so dumb, but I just, I need to make it. Just like hanging a stand or using a saddle to hide behind the tree trunk is a better strategy than setting up where you expect the deer to come from, where they're going to see you. Setting up on the ground requires the same consideration. If you can hide behind a tree and shoot around it as an animal passes, shouldn't you? After all, I haven't met a critter yet that can see through trees, and I sure as hell hope I never do. This is a good step if it's possible, but it's not always possible. Sometimes you have to be in front of the trees for a variety of reasons. Sometimes 
you have no trees to work with at all. Instead, have to use corn stalks or cattails or some random shrubs or brush or deadfalls. Here's the key to this stuff. No matter whether you're hunting antelope or turkeys or bears or deer or whatever, if you're going to go the natural ground blind route, think about what's in front of you and what's behind you. This is so important because it allows you the opportunity to break up the human form. This is also, you know, the secret sauce to so many different camo patterns. It isn't necessarily always to hide you perfectly in a wide variety of environments, but instead to just make your human form look less, well, human-y, human-ish, human-like. There we go. It's also a good idea to think about sunlight and shadows when you're setting up a natural blind. Shadows are your friend here and direct sunlight is not, although you do need sunlight to get shadows. I get that. This is easy stuff, but the brushing in part often isn't. You have to think about depth. Obstructions in front of you and behind you create depth. You have to look at this like you're becoming a part of something natural. I want to give you two examples from hunts I did in Texas for turkeys and axis deer. On the turkey hunt, which was a bow hunt in canyon country, where I got the impression not many people bow hunted turkeys, you know, the rios there where I hunted were pretty vocal and they were like, easy-ish to call in, but they sure as hell didn't tolerate a sloppy ground setup like most turkeys won't. I had to carve my way into some cedar trees so that I was surrounded by cover. I also had to hinge cut some overhead limbs to give myself some shadows to hide. When I did it right, I arrowed a bird that was maybe five yards away, fighting my decoy, totally oblivious to me. He didn't even see me draw, which is saying something when you're bow hunting turkeys without a blind. Now on the axis hunt, the outfitter that I hunted with told me to sit in a metal folding chair on the edge of a caliche quarry that had some water in it. I did it as I was told the first morning, but I realized pretty quickly that the thirsty critters weren't super dumb and they'd eyeball me and just drink at the far side of the quarry if they came in at all. Either way, they stayed out of bow hunting range. Now if you've never hunted axis deer, let me say this. They're like turkey level aware of their surroundings and about as tolerant as some asshole in a poor setup. I asked the outfitter if I could borrow a brush trimmer and a saw and I moved to the edge of the water where there were a couple of cedars. Once there, I just carved out a little cubby to tuck into and then I layered cedar boughs in front of me. I killed a really good axis the first time I sat it at maybe 15 yards. The right natural ground blind forces critters to look through or past you. That's the secret. Well, it's part of the secret. The other thing is, you have to get low. The more of you that is below the brush line, the better. Then you have to make sure that you have cover in front of you and behind you, like sufficient cover. This puts you in the midst of a bunch of natural elements. And that means that you have your chance to become just another piece of the land. As dumb as it sounds, you just don't want to stand out in any way. Then, at least if you're bow hunting, you have to be able to draw. This is the hard part from a natural ground blind and something that you should consider as you settle in and make your blind. You can do the best brushing in job in the world, but if you can't get drawn without scraping a bunch of leaves with your bottom cam or having to move a lot, you're just out of luck. So what I like to do is set up so that I can stay low, but still be on my knees. When I draw, it's always when the critter is where I can kill them. Because even if I get busted and they stop to stare, it's too late. Now this is a simplified version, of course. 
You should work on drawing this way in one smooth motion as you elevate your body just slightly and get into shooting position. I can't stress how important it is to be able to do this correctly. If you learn this skill, and it is a skill you can practice on at home, you're going to kill more deer and turkeys and antelope and elk and mule deer and whatever else you hunt. This is because a natural ground blind can give you a couple of distinct advantages that you can't often get from other setup styles. For starters, you can use this strategy just about anywhere. It doesn't require a bunch of extra gear, which is really nice, but it also allows you to hunt just about anywhere the sign tells you that you should hunt. That's so important because an awful lot of critters spend their time in places that aren't conducive to saddle and tree stand setups. They just aren't. And the more you can adapt with natural blinds, the better you'll be. There are situations out west where this is the best strategy. There are situations in the Midwest and East, even where deciduous forests dominate, where it's still the best strategy. In the big woods, which is, I don't know, full of trees and cover, there are still situations where this is the best strategy. The edges of swamps come to mind. And that's something that can work if you're up near Canada or down near the Gulf of Mexico. There's another benefit to this style of hunting too. The shot opportunities tend to be pretty sweet. If you manage to stay hidden and undetected, the ground level shots you earn are often close and pretty easy to make. I've had so many successful hunts where critters either didn't know I was right there or when they did figure out something was up, it was like they couldn't quite believe it and they let me get off a good shot as they tried to figure out what was going on. So if you're out scouting this summer or finding yourself struggling this fall, think about this. It's kind of the least limiting style of hunting, which allows you to take the high odds route of ambushing your quarry. I promise you that just about anywhere you hunt, there are locations that are ripe for a natural ground blind, but you have to do your part. You have to think about how visible you are. Think about how blended into the depths of the cover you really are. Think about how you'll get into position to take a shot if something big comes wandering your way. But more importantly, just think about this as an option as you scout now and as we get into the season, because there are spots where this is perfect and a lot of people don't do this or they don't do it right. Don't be those people. That's it for this week, my friends. I'm Tony Peterson. This has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. As always, I want to thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate your support here at Meat Eater. If you want some more whitetail content, some more podcasts, some more non-whitetail content, fishing content, whatever, head on over to TheMeatEater.com and you will see all of our video series from Cal and Giannis and the Element Boys and everybody. You'll see all of our podcasts and you'll see a ton of articles related to the outdoors. So go check it out. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam 
can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.